0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, but not today. Today, we're not even talking about what's new and cool in books. We're not even talking about books. We're not talking... I don't... Actually, nothing on my list is even reading related. Sometimes I've had like, you know, my Kindle Oasis or mm-hmm. iPad... We're doing our favorite non-book things of the year. And this is not necessarily pop culture, at least I hope not, because I've got some pretty banal crap on (laughs) here. show title.
2: I cannot wait.
1: Rebecca (laughs) was saying just before she started to make her list and was like, it's been a year. This is even more than... We did the show in 2020, and I don't remember it being quite so mundane, uninspired, mm. maybe because in 2020, we were being creative in our um, shut inness, and we were sort of figuring it out. In 2021, I think more of the same is my story of 2021. Rebecca, how are you feeling about your list of things to recommend <laughs> to people right now? <laughs>
2: It is, I think, less exciting than last year's list, probably for the same reason that 2020 was so much about finding creative ways to stay engaged, to, I don't know, to feel something at all um, mm-hmm. in the great store of what 2020 was. And uh, a lot of like sort of frantic, at least on my part, I felt like it's a kind of in retrospect frantic activity to be, you know, yeah. doing something as a distraction from the pain of just sitting down all the time, um, psychic and physical. And this year, like I got vaccinated in April. And so I have spent most of this year being able to do some more of the things that I would do in a quote-unquote normal year than I did in 2020. and But not, like, enough of those things to have gained. Like, I don't have a bunch of new travel shit. Excuse me. New travel stuff. I don't have a bunch of new travel stuff. Um, Or, like, a bunch of new yoga stuff or the things that I'm really into to talk about. So there is a lot of TV. I watched a lot of TV. Um, There's some cooking-related things. I feel like this is a very this reflects just like a very normal, kind of settled year. And that is okay with me. I'm happy to be, I guess, in some ways, I'm glad for the ways that 2020 was less interesting in that old curse way of made you mm-hmm. live in interesting times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's fine. This is, My list is fine.
1: <laughs> my list is fine, too. I mean, I think... 2020 being more of a adapting to a new Mm -hmm. reality, surviving. Survival is interesting. We were just talking about watching Station Eleven. Survival is interesting. You know what's not interesting? Enduring. And that's what 2021 was about. It was about enduring. And I kind of have this uh, guideline for recommending books especially, but I I kind of apply it for the rest of the things I recommend to really other one. I don't just recommend things that I like. I I like to just recommend like the 10% of whatever. So if I read a hundred books, I kind of say I can recommend 10 Mm because I'm really giving you, you know, the top 10%. So if you experience fewer new things, you, you have a, you have a shallower pool from, from which to draw. So, because I don't want to recommend all the new things that I just tried and sort of liked, I really want to (laughs) recommend and talk about things that I was like, this was actually, you know, I would, I would be surprised if someone who, you know, who this thing is for doesn't like it. And so since my pool is shallower, I've only got drips of, of real full-throated recommendations. Um, so I think that's the other piece, too. Just like yes. you, you did some traveling, but you didn't do 10 trips where you can recommend one thing. You're like, you're oh, like okay, true. I got to pick among these two yeah, or three I think things here.
2: That's exactly the way to think about it, that a lot of the stuff that we land on in a previously typical year for this best of the rest show is like driven by novelty of things we discovered yes, in that last right. year that are the top 10% of the things we discovered that we really liked and that like felt like they improved our lives in some meaningful way or were really enjoyable or you know just made things a little shinier and also are widely recommendable that aren't Mm just idiosyncratic. And there was less novelty in 2021. I think precisely because of what you just said, that we were doing less adapting. I carried a lot of 2020 things forward. And then I was happy to go back to some of my 2018, 2019 previous life kinds of things. But those didn't need like a new shine. On them, mm. you know, Yeah, it's been it's, in, it's an interesting spot to be in.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't really group my list. We're going to kind of just take this as it goes. But first, let's uh, do a sponsor.
2: This episode
0: is sponsored by the one that got away with murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. And let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge of your seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my
1: Do you want to go in any kind of order? I, mine are not power ranked. Like if I had to mine pick one either. thing, um, I guess let's talk about TV first, because probably that's where we're going to have the most convergence in terms of we'll both have TV things to talk about. I'm not sure that we're going to have mm-hmm. the same TV things. So we can take you and do your whole group. You want to go back and forth a little bit. I'm, I'm happy to do whatever.
2: Let's go back and forth. That's more right. fun.
1: Yeah. All right. So you why don't you begin with a TV pick?
2: Okay. I loved White Lotus this year. Um, HBO 10 episode, I think it was 10 episode season about rich people at an upscale Hawaiian resort and basically all the ways in which they are miserable. It was satire, but like unhinged in a way that... You didn't quite know what they were trying to do, I think, until the season was about halfway done. And then all of the interviews and coverage of the show got really interesting. Um, it was created by Mike White. It starred Connie Britton and one of the lesser Sars guards, um, Jennifer <laughs> Coolidge. <laughs> I know that was shady, but like Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> it's not is... just
1: the lesser. That, that suggests there's a whole retinue of lessers. Not just well, one. It's not the, it's a lesser scarsguard.
2: Honestly, it's like
1: Incredible kind of like the Baldwins. Rebecca
2: know. Shitsky on the top row, body slamming the entire Skarsgård clan. I have to confess, it's like the Baldwins. I'm not entirely sure how many scarsguards. there gotta are. You got to be careful
1: too with Baldwins. You, you I mean, even right. the top tier ones will shoot you, apparently. You got to oh, watch Jeff, out.
2: Oh, Jeff. Uh, like Alexander Skarsgård is on succession right now, and he is just bonkers wonderful. So it's hard. It's hard to compete. A Lesser Sarsgaard, namely because I forgot to Google his name, but uh, also starring Connie Britton and Jennifer Coolidge was the highlight for me. Actually, I have the Renaissance as one of my best (sighs) of the rest things of the year. That's what we're calling it in my house. It seems like this was the year that like filmmakers and TV people figured out what to do with Jennifer Coolidge. And she just got to do her thing in all the places incredibly well. So I guess this is a double one. I loved White Lotus. It was unhinged and weird. And if you need to watch something over the holiday season, I think it's a good one. If you're, like, if you're a prestige TV kind of person, the White Lotus is up your alley, most likely. Um, but then Jennifer Coolidge appeared in the Netflix holiday flick single All the Way as the slightly unhinged kooky aunt who's running the Christmas pageant at the neighborhood church. And <laughs> she has written the pageant herself and it is titled Jesus H. Christ. And there's like a banner across the stage that says this. and I was like, this is someone really understood what Jennifer Coolidge is all about. Um, so that's my one 2 punch. My apologies to the Scars
1: Don't apologize. They know.
2: (laughs) I'm not really that sorry. They know. Uh, So for for White Lotus and Jennifer Coolidge. I
1: read, I I probably listened and read more about TV than actually watched, but I did read that Mike White, my understanding is wrote with Jennifer Coolidge in mind, like came Mm -hmm. to the project to have a place Mm -hmm. for Jennifer Coolidge. And basically HBO came to him in quarantine and says, do you have anything we could shoot in a quarantine setting? And he's like... I'd like to go to Hawaii. <laughs> so, right. like, yeah. I mean, Genius. which is just an elite level move from Mike White. Nice work if you can get it. Um okay. Uh hmm, let's see, TV. I've got two I'm really this is gonna sound like I've got layers, but I've I'm an onion of two layers really at this point, <laughs> Rebecca. There's only two <laughs> it's a good show there's there's the layer that I like. Let us say it's best encapsulated by our mutual admiration for Ishiguro and and, okay. and Claire and the Son of Strange, well-educated, well-articulated, sort of upper-middle-brow norminess plus. Let's call mm-hmm. that right. It's not experimental writing, but it's it's top shelf, but also super commercial. And the other part of me is dad core, family <laughs> core, and yes. that's just because I've got kids, I've got a family, we're here all the time. My kids now go to bed at 8 39. I'm only going to bed at 10. I don't have time for a full movie after they go to bed. The kinds of movies I'd watch by myself are too long for me to stay up. I'm tired the next day. So I'm really, my movie watching is very tough. But my speaking to the, I like art. I like the form. I don't mind being challenged. Um, I like to see new worlds and new perspectives. Is Reservation Dogs. It's a show mm, on yes. Hulu. Um, created by Sterling, Harjo, and Taiki Waititi. It follows largely a group of late teenagers, early 20-year-olds. Their their age is meaningfully and usefully obscure for reasons that I think are obvious when it comes to the show. The normal markers of, let's call them my own white middle-class Protestant existence don't apply because they grow up on a, um, a Native American reservation in South Central Oklahoma and the reservation has people of multiple tribes and backgrounds. And they, it's a coming-of-age story with the layers of things that people know, even if they don't know, about that life in reservations in America is no picnic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, which is the home of Haskell Indian Nations University, and there's reservations in Kansas and Oklahoma. So we knew of some of this, and I've always wondered, I've always been interested in contemporary representations of the life of indigenous people in America that are still around. They're still, they have hopes and dreams and fears and oppression and historical violence is, is, is present. It's not historical. Um, And on the other hand, this was not also a complete cry fest, which you could go that way. It's light at times. It's funny at times. It oscillates wildly between absurd um, and I guess so sad that it's, it's hard to imagine I was wonderfully surprised it's a point of view i've never seen the young actors and actresses are just absolutely incredible it's the kind of show you want and don't see much anymore which is a slice of life told fairly straightforwardly with some spiritual elements that are appropriate at least to my understanding to the belief systems of the people involved but also it's not um there's no sacred cows it's making fun of itself and these traditions and these people, but also taking them seriously in a way that I think you can only really do if this is part of your background. It was a re- revelation to me. I hope all of these kids are great stars. Um, I think a couple of them really could be, especially wonderful casting, unique idiosyncratic. It's not playing for straight down the middle. Um, you know, it's not, I, I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to be picked up on ABC uh, FX. I think it's on FX, which I, which I'm watching on Hulu. It's specific. And mm-hmm. it does the things that specificity does extremely well. So that's Reservation Dogs. Season one's available now. There is going to be a season two. It's eight 30-minute episodes, so you can take it in pieces. It's not super long. I, I was great. I, by far, my favorite, most eye-opening, um, you know, reminds me of what TV can do, Reservation Dogs on FX.
2: Oh, I wholeheartedly second that emotion. It was yeah. also on my list. And awesome. I was... Reading recently that they've committed to having an all-native writers' room for ah. the second season, um, so that will be even more exciting to see. But yeah, just a tone and like there's a bite to it that you don't get, um, yeah, in a lot of in, in really any like mainstream uh, sitcoms, and it walks that line between funny and serious and. Sad and absurd, as you were saying, so so well. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. I'm just delighted that you had that in your life this year. It was such a good piece of TV.
1: Yeah, it was at the right size, to be honest. There's eight 30 minute episodes I can I can get through that, you know, stuff that's even, you know, I'm now the, the secession train has passed me by. I'm now three seasons behind. <laughs> I'm in danger town with ever getting on board that train. I got to run hard. Uh, and Maybe I don't we'll, got much uh, juice anymore.
2: Will O'Neill's Razor that one and you could like? Take it down when it's over, but yeah, the, I, I think that's like...
1: that's that's the way I might do it, but i I've never done that with t v actually i've never well, gone yeah. back have i I can't think of one where i I've, I've gone the anyway.
2: It's causing me personal pain that you're not up on Succession Mm. because the writing about Succession and the profiles of some of the performers in it have gotten so juicy and interesting and weird that I regularly have to not send them to you.
1: (laughs) Succession discourse seems as interesting as Succession now. Like Derrida said about literature, literature is maybe more interesting than the world. (laughs) So I feel like the Succession discourse is as as interesting, maybe even more so.
2: As I was saying, I think on last week's episode about how I really like to understand and know about the things I enjoy going down the succession rabbit hole of podcast episodes and great writing about it and profiles has been uh, really satisfying. For my like perfect bite size TV experience, this one, I'm like fresh off of this one because they just wrapped up the first season, but The Sex Lives of College Girls, also Mm. on HBO Max, um, written, created by Mindy Kaling, I was skeptical not that it wouldn't be good but whether I was going to enjoy it as a person who's almost 40 and um, watching a show about 18 year old women coming to college for the first time but she has done uh, I think the 2021 spin on the kinds of comedies that we grew up watching that are like I mean, it feels like a 2021 sort of version of like undeclared or even early seasons of How I Met Your Mother, where it's like, look at these four people who were thrown together, who came from different backgrounds, and now they're all in this new situation. And like, Previously, it would it would be, you know, the new situation is they all live in New York or something, but this is, they've all, these girls have come to an exclusive private college in Vermont. Um, one is a sort of a, a white girl from a blue collar background from Arizona. She's very sheltered. One is a really like very rich, privileged white girl. Um, there is a young black woman who is playing for the soccer team and having a secret affair with one of the coaches. Um, and then there's a young Southeast uh, Asian woman who wants to get into the college's exclusive comedy group and and have a career as a comedy writer and performer and and they are roommates just assigned randomly to each other who have this wonderful like sort of odd couple dynamic, but between all four of them. Um, I read a really interesting profile with I believe one of the writers who was talking about some of the choices that they made where um, of the four girls, the Southeast Asian character is sort of the most vocally interested in like boys and her sex life. And the show is about being a young woman in college. And so they're interested in men and their sex lives. And um, one of the girls is queer, and she's exploring how to come out about that, but that they made explicit choices to allow the kind of character who's usually desexualized in media, which is often a Southeast Asian or Indian Mm. character, um, to be more interested in sex and that the young black woman, you know, has a sex life. And this is part of what she's talking about in the show, but that she's not like hypersexualized. It's just a very normalized part of her life. And I think this is what you get from you know, diverse writers rooms from mm-hmm. women and women of color being showrunners on something like this, getting to tell this story from a perspective. That's not just like the young white male perspective or the rich white girl perspective. It's really funny. And um, there's a lot of depth to it. I was just continually surprised by the places that they let the characters go. Um, and they explored some of the common experiences that young women have going off to college, including running into experiences uh, of sexual assault, and how do those get addressed? And what is it like to try to speak up about them? What about when you tell your peers, do they believe you or not? Some of those kids respond great, some of them don't respond so well. Um, I don't know if this is true to life of what it is to be an 18 year old in college in 2021, but this felt like really fresh, um, intersectional in a way that I hadn't seen a TV comedy really do i don't think it's perfect i've read some interesting critiques but it's a lot of fun um, and if you needed something that you could burn through on a mm. saturday afternoon over the holiday break um if that's you're listening to this and the show is your kind of jam i thought it was really wonderful
1: um my next pick is the normiest pick that you can pick um it's a little show called get back by a little band <laughs> about a little band called the beatles ever heard of mm-hmm. them uh, yeah The discourse for this has been all over my personal media stream, so I don't don't actually know how many people care, except that the people that I am like really care about this shocking 40-year-old white guy um, who with the pop sensibility... I'm not sure if, let me, maybe I can come at this way. Is this something you're interested in? Are you, are Beatles, like where is your relationship to the idea of watching an eight hour documentary about the Beatles? And maybe that I can, I can respond (laughs) to, I can be the monoclonal antibodies to try to neutralize your resistance to this. Where are you on, on the idea of this show?
2: Well, in my idiosyncratic answer, if my dad had been more into the Beatles than he was into Led Zeppelin, or if ah. this was an eight hour documentary about Led Zeppelin or like Three Dog Night, I would be watching it. Okay. Um, the Beatles are just did not loom large enough in my like coming up media landscape. I appreciate them, but not quite enough to watch an eight hour situation. But well, I'm I think, interested.
1: I think Michelle was a little bit on, on your tip. Not that her dad was a Zep fan versus the Beatles fan, but like, you know, the Beatles is. Cultural water, right? This is the water we're in, especially mm-hmm. in the West, if you have a Papa Rock sensibility at all. And she was watching it because I was watching it, and, you know, she'd read enough and blah, blah, blah. But she got into it for a couple of reasons that I think are interesting. And I, I don't want to take anyone... I, want, I, don't want, I really don't want to convince anyone to jump in the pool that's not interested in swimming around in it. But I will say this. If you know... Most people know enough about the Beatles to be interested in what actually starts happening because it becomes essentially a family drama. Um, in a way, because you know enough. Most people know enough about who John, Paul, George, and Ringo are, and to know the culture of weight of the Beatles, to be kind of stunned that this happens. I-, I was completely blown away. I guess I shouldn't also soft pedal my own responsible, mm. uh, my own reaction. Completely blown away. I was a huge Beatles kid. Like my first tape I ever got was the Beatles Twenty Greatest Hits, and on a tape I listened to it incessantly. I could still tell you the track order off that tape, and I've, you know, I know all this stuff. Um, but it becomes about interpersonal dynamics and creativity and fame all in one. And there's a couple of moments of real transcendence, like probably the most famous scene in that's being talked about now that will be talked about is Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney, in essentially real time, coming up with the the soul, the backbone of a get back while Ringo mm-hmm. and George watch on, watch. And he's just trying stuff out on his little bass guitar and using the rhythm and trying out lyrics and just... What we know, even you and I that do creative stuff, is you got to have a lot of ideas. And you find one that seems more, and you follow that, and you have ideas on that. And eventually, and then you happen to be one of the greatest songwriters of all time, you get songs that come out like that. But then the interpersonal damage between John and Paul, there's big big, um, divorce energy, right? As a kid of divorce, Mm. I recognize this dynamic, and it's people that don't want to split up, And we don't want to see split up, but probably should split up. That is true for all of this. And you know what happens, and you know what happens with John later, which makes his, you know, absences in some of these scenes even more poignant. Um, It's about music, it's about creativity, but it's also being around people that you're intimately connected with, but you can't stay the same forever, and you got to move on. I will be thinking about it for a long time. It's my single most... Uh, you know, mind blowing cultural document. I'll throw books in there. I'll throw Claire and the sun in there. Some of that specificity because how much the Beatles have meant to me and how much I know about them, but that this tape exists is a miracle, right? Mm. It's just the Beatles sitting around making stuff up to see the creative process of the most famous creative people in the West in the last century. I don't know. It's like being in the inner sanctum of the Vatican or something. Like, I don't know how to describe how strange it is to see this and it's a weird format, like it's three episodes and they're between two and three hours long and they're broken up in particular ways. I think Jackson did an unbelievable job. The other thing, though, that's striking is there was a, the original documentary cut from this footage by Mick, Michael Lindsay Hall, was called Let It Be, and it was morose. And it, was, it told one version of this story, but to see the same footage reused, recut and expanded and tell a completely different story... Is kind of an indictment of documentary filmmaking writ large, it's fascinating. right? That you can tell two largely different stories using the same footage and making different editorial decisions. And with a documentary, you see, you see it even less because it's more just about what footage you're including in what order. It's not you're not writing the dialogue. You're just using in combinations and pieces, and uh, sequence, and you can tell a radically different story. So. Th- even as even if you're a fan of documentaries, just seeing what this is, and then the technology well, lastly and also, I will really, I really shut up about this because it'll be as long as the documentary itself Me talking about it is the technology that went into this of restoring to something that looks awesome on my giant 4K TV that was shot 50 years ago in like back rooms and what they did with AI and lighting and machine learning and audio sampling. Um, uh, it, it's, it's really pretty remarkable. And there's, there's, there's an element of this you would really appreciate. I think the interpersonal dynamics and creative stuff, even if you don't care about the Beatles for you yourself, Rebecca, fascinating. question. I would guess you would find it interesting. There will be parts where you're going to be like, come on and let's go. But part of it is, I think Jackson is trying to recreate something like just being in the room. And a lot of them being in the room was like sitting around trying stuff, being bored and frustrated. So it's trying yeah, to represent and- that experience.
2: I am sure that if people watched us have conversations oh about what to do with whatever project we're trying to come up with next, they would have that exact response. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So, and there's one moment. And I, spoiler alert! Fast forward 30 to 60 seconds. If you want to hear it. That my jaw hit the ground was. So one of the one of the dynamics is George Harrison is thinking about leaving band and actually does for a couple of days in the middle of this. Like he takes off, says, "I'll see you around the club, guys," and like for all I know he's gone. And John and Paul get together to have lunch, but they tell the cameras and the audio people, don't follow us, this is not part of it. Like they, they have a lot of access, like we, we gotta go have a private conversation. And the producers put a mic in the flower pot of their dinner table. And so you hear them talking <gasps> to each other, not knowing that they're being taped. And my understanding is none of this was in the original Let It Be, Michael Lindsay Hogg for Ethical or the story he was not he was trying to tell or you know the version he w- was not included in this. And both Michelle and I had like eyes emoji in real life oh, yeah. at each other. And, the, and you hear, and it's, I, I don't know. It, it's like Jesus talking to Judas Iscariot. Like if you got live oh. tape for me and like how important the Beatles are to my cultural uh, education, I was like, this exists and we can listen to it. And I probably shouldn't, but how can I not at the same oh, time? And gosh. I can't believe they did this. So there, there's enough moments like that, um, that I do think if you're on the fence, maybe that will tip you over. I'm not trying to go convince anyone who's like super not interested and they could care less about the Beatles or whatever. Don't do it to yourself. But it is a a lot more about just hey, I recognize that song. You know, which some of these documentaries can be interesting. So, the Get well, Back, Get Back, edited by Peter Jackson, by this up and coming up uh, and coming uh, rock quartet from <laughs> Liverpool, England, um, the Quarrymen. No, I'm kidding. That was the original <laughs> name, the Beatles. <laughs>
2: That sounds fascinating. It was. I could talk about it for
1: years. I could talk about it for years.
2: It's going on my list now. And I mean, that's so interesting about documentaries. A thing that didn't make my list, but that I did enjoy mm. watching this year was the Jagged Little Pill. Um, oh, I think it's just called yeah. Jagged. I was
1: reading about that yesterday. What, yeah, tell me the deal with that. It's
2: a documentary that Bill Simmons of The Ringer um, produced for HBO Max. He's doing a series called Music Box of like 90 minute documentaries about different things related to music. And it's about Alanis Morissette and like the explosive success mm. of Jagged Little Pill. Um, I watched it a couple weeks ago. I really enjoyed it. Um, I lived through that time period. I remember Alanis Morissette; she's pivotal to my like early adolescent musical landscape. And the doc interviews a lot of other women in like alt rock who were talking about how the success of that album opened the door for other bands that were fronted by women um, to be successful in alt rock in a way that they hadn't been before Mm -hmm. shirley manson from garbage is in there there's a couple other really recognizable folks from the time period but i went into it knowing that morissette had distanced herself from the documentary she's participated in it she's interviewed Mm -hmm. and featured you know she's all over the thing um and but i hadn't gotten into the details like why is she distancing herself yet so i watched it and i walked away thinking i don't know why she like, I, I don't know what's objectionable here. There mm. was nothing in it where I thought... It wasn't
1: like an Alanis expose where she was right. milling it or yeah. something, or there's some like right. yeah, warm exactly. under it the rug.
2: It wasn't an expose. You know, she was a child pop star um, when she was growing up in Canada, and the kinds of things happened to her that happened to 15-year-old girls who oh, were thrust into yeah. those situations, and she hadn't really talked about it very much before, or when she had tried to talk about it, and we're talking you know, about sexual assault and harassment. When she had tried to talk about it, You know, lots of people didn't believe her or it had been shut down or folks were more self-interested in furthering their careers than in investigating what had happened to her. And I think I've Googled since then, and it sounds like she's unhappy with how that was presented in the documentary, but didn't Hmm. go into detail about what she's unhappy with so all we really know is that she's unhappy about it but
1: she's also Um, not flaming it it doesn't sound like like she's she's also not not flaming
2: it mm, she you know mm. has made some statements that she's not pleased with it and she feels like the director you know did her dirty um but just to hear about the possibility of making two completely different documentaries from the same kind of footage just sort of pinged a bunch of questions in my mind about you know what else is on film that didn't make it into the Atlantis documentary? And, and was there a way to take what she said and present it in a way that would have been more acceptable to her? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I it, it, I felt weird about even watching it, knowing that she didn't enjoy that it was out in the world. But I was so curious about that time and her impact on music. And yeah. Yeah that it was, I don't know, it felt interesting. That uh, My eyebrows went all the way up to my forehead just now when you were saying the producer stuck a microphone in the plant. I, I mean,
1: <laughs> like- I, I was going to say, and I should have said before, and maybe this is um, attenuates or otherwise um, dilutes the, the seeming commitment. I think if you watch the first one, and it's two hours, so think of it as a movie, right? You get a lot of the vibe mm. um, in that one, and maybe you want to. You maybe want to continue. Maybe you won't. But you can watch the first one and get a taste of. You can sample it and say, you know, I, I've got. I know what Get Back is about. Now, if you want to know more and, and spend more time in that room and with those people in that world, go do the other two. But I think the first couple, the first one with a couple hours, gives you eighty percent of the experience mm-hmm. um, to some degree, and and then you can decide for yourself, of course. If you want to proceed, but there's not like a cliffhanger or something. The Beatles break up. I don't know how to break it to everyone <laughs> out there um, right now. So uh, so I'm back right. to me. Let's go Dadcore. core. I think I'm up next then. Um, I've said to you before that Spotify, if I have to keep one content service, I'm probably keeping Spotify. That mm-hmm. has not changed. But I said before that then if I had to keep one video service, I'd keep Netflix Rebecca, the belt's been wrested away from Netflix. Da- Dad, okay. Core Island, the dads, the dads and parents out there would now choose Disney Plus <laughs> over Netflix. And it's not just because of the millstone of children show title um, and of their interests.
2: <laughs> you said it.
1: Look, it just is what it is. It's a millstone. It's heavy jewelry. You know, it's either Flavor Flav's clock or something trying to drown you. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Um, But Disney Plus has figured out family entertainment for the modern streaming era in mm-hmm. that making stuff that, they used to call it four-quadrant programming. I think, you know, mom, dad, Jill, and Jack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now that's heteronormative and whatever. And that's true. But the multi-generational, multi- I guess, vibe, multi-levels of it. Do you like action? Do you like interpersonal dynamics? Do you like teenagers? Do you like adult dramas? Do you like, you know, all those kinds of things? They know how to do this now. So sometimes in one of their flagship shows, they do it all. Like, I think they did it all with Mandalorian. You get Baby Yoda and you get a Boba Fett lookalike and then actual Boba Fett. And then they do it in Hawkeye a little bit differently by Haley, Haley Stanfield, who should never play Emily Dickinson ever again. Please don't talk to me about that. Um, but a very winning personality. And then also gives you more of what you want. So my, my, my deep cut pick on Disney+, Plus, you know, you've heard about other stuff, couple ones, is there's a Jacques Cousteau documentary that's really mm. fascinating. And what a cultural force Jacques Cousteau, and basically invented underwater photography. Like this is a weird thing to think about. But before Jacques Cousteau, we didn't know what underwater looked like. Is that a weird wild. idea? It's a like invented scuba gear and camera so we could like go show people what coral reefs look like? It seems so silly or I don't know, like it's almost um uh, I don't know. Underwater photography is just a thing you can you and I can take our iPhones out and they're waterproof and take like unbelievable 4K video of pufferfish or whatever. Jacques <laughs> Cousteau is out and putting his French ass on the line and almost dying so that we can see like muddy pictures it's, of like boring fish.
2: It is one of those things that has existed for our entire yes, lifetime, that, that's a good way So of we never about it. like I had I, like I just had that feeling of oh I never had to consider someone had to go out and invent the the ability for me to see this thing yeah yeah, yeah
1: fascinating idea right in 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 you know late, nascent environmentalism and
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: that's you know depending on your kind of kid, you might like that. So that's one pick. Go the other. So that's like the highest brow version of what Disney Plus does, a Jacques Couto documentary. And that's a National Geographic thing, which you get included. But you go the other way, and not the other way, but like they did a short film called Doug Days that each one was like a five minute episode based on the dog from the movie Up that has the dog <laughs> collar that, makes, that lets them talk. And it's just him and the Ed Asner character like living their lives in the burbs. We watched it twice, Rebecca. I don't know what to tell you. It was so fun. We could watch it together. I mean, this is part of living at all with other people, especially in this era. But Disney Plus now has my streaming belt. I would take it. I paid five times as much for it. And if you told me I had to pay five times as much for it and get rid of everything else, I would begrudgingly choose it, so that's how important it is to me right now. Um, so there you go. I think that's the end. Oh, 100 Foot Wave HBO Max. Oh, I talked to you about that's it before. My next one. Oh, okay. You 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 take it. I recommend it to you, so I'll you get did. reflected credit for this.
2: I was going to give you the shine. On All right, that there one. you go. Um, Disney Plus, I think, is also the probably the streaming service we got the most pound for pound usage out you of. Did this Marvel? Year that's right. We did the Marvel Sorry. marathon. We have three left i think um in that we started it late in the spring of 2021 when it was like okay we're still in our houses more than we want to be let's just finally cave and get disney plus mm. um so that's been really enjoyable and on monday i'm I'll, uh, celebrating my birthday when my um morning birthday tradition is to watch sister act two back in the habit and i will get to do that on disney right. plus i won't there have to go. Like, hunt it down somewhere to pay for on demand
1: congratulations um, to you
2: Thank you very much. So my yeah, my next pick, recommended to me by you, um, that is a documentary series on HBO Max was the Hundred Foot Wave, which is about a surfer named Garrett McNamara who is a big wave surfer, like big waves. Biggest wave
1: um, surfer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wave.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, which this I I I'm guessing you recommended it to me because it rings the bells of both surfing, which I found myself fascinated by yes. when I read William Finnegan's memoir last year. And then also people being obsessed with things and like what drives personal obsession. And this guy, like his ability is incredible. He finds this place off the coast of Portugal that has the biggest waves he's ever found. And he like sets off to surf them. And it becomes like a whole center of new local industry, like pops up around him doing this. But before that, he's been traveling the world, looking for the biggest waves, surfing the biggest waves and setting these increasingly high and risky goals and people get very injured doing this people die doing this he gets very injured and comes close to dying doing it and over the course of the season you see him wrestle with like how and why is this so important to me that i'm willing to get seriously injured or die and leave my family in that situation and he's doing some midlife adjusting kinds of things i think of this was one thing when i was young and unattached and it's a different thing as a middle-aged person with obligations to family and people who rely on you not just financially but emotionally and spiritually Mm -hmm. as a, a core part of their life um and you see him struggle with his partner on screen about about this. Like, why are you so obsessed with this? Why is this the most important thing? Kind of why aren't we the family and the rest of your life enough for you? Why isn't that last big wave enough that you have to go keep searching for the next one?
0: Yeah um
2: I don't know. And I'm a person who thinks a lot about like what does it mean to be content and what does it mean to strive too much? Um and it was, I mean, it just it rang all the bells. It was fascinating. I cannot wait for another season yes. of it and just one like watching a person understand themselves in a new way on like sort of in real time is like this kind of documentary I think is the closest that we're going to get to like actually being able to like watch somebody in therapy you know it was really interesting watching him unearth some things about himself and really wrestle with it and just the surfing stuff too is phenomenal oh. That would be the
1: one, everything you said, I agree with a thousand percent. The other piece I would add is the technical piece, which is, it's filmed over 10 years and professional surfers are incentivized through sponsorships to record everything because you never know when you're going to get that one wave. So you record, so they've got all this footage. You think there's a lot of footage for Jackson, the 160 hours? We're decades worth of everyday filming and... The, tech, the 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 like the GoPro-level technology. I don't know what the cameras they're using. They put them on their helmets. They put them on their surfboards. They put them on their shoulders, on mm-hmm. their jet skis. So you get all of these angles. Like, think of what Jacques Cousteau would have done this stuff. That's not what I'm thinking about. If he had had, a, like, a GoPro and, like, a snorkel, he would have, like, revolution... He would have been James Cameron, I guess. Is what- Jacques Cousteau <laughs> with a Jacques- GoPro... <laughs> James Cameron and Jacuzzo with the GoPro is an amazing uh, found sentence. Um, I'm going to keep that as a gem in my pocket to, to bring out some other time. So that, you know, if you have a, you know, you can watch on anything, but you have a big TV, you're seeing mm-hmm. these 100-foot ways, or they, they're they trying to serve this 100-foot way off Nazare. And it also, even, it doesn't know it's doing this, but it finds one of the great cruxes or contradictions in liberal humanism is that even if you know you shouldn't want something it means you still doesn't mean you don't want it anymore yeah. right and he gets to this point of his head and heart i guess or or vice versa or different parts of his heart or whatever whatever internal organ metaphor you want to use of i can't both i can't be both right mm-hmm. he can't protect you know the, he can't he can't prioritize i guess the enduring safety and presence for his family and do this questy kind of thing, right? To hazard his body and life in pursuit of X. And it kind of almost doesn't matter that it's waves. It could be anything, right? right? It could be, what's that, free solo? It could be climbing rocks. Mm-hmm. It could be being a rock and roll musician. It could be making macrame and selling on an Etsy sing- with single purpose. But just because he knows that he probably should stick around for his kids doesn't help him. It makes it yeah. worse somehow.
2: It's like real human stuff. Yep. Yeah. And. I found it so fascinating. I'm so glad that you mentioned how it's shot because that just brings the, like the risk and the level of excitement and adrenaline that they're feeling to life. Like, I know I'm a. I know what it feels like to like jump off a thing that's a couple hundred feet tall, but watching the footage of these, like, what it's like to be inside the barrel of a wave that's seventy feet over your head, and all and it's forty
1: doing, degrees, not for nothing. Right,
2: and you're standing on like a nine or ten inch wide piece of wood or whatever yes. <laughs> surfboards are made out of. I, I don't know, um, just. Bonkers, like the human achievement, but also what drives us to do these things that's written in there. And I I think I would love a like parallel timeline version of this that just follows his partner and family at the same times that they're where where we're really seeing. Him, Because one of the things that Bob and I were talking about when we were watching it is like, we have sort of spouse veto on some of this stuff. Like, I would like to base jump. There's a lot of stuff that Bob's cool with, you know, riding along for me to do. But base jumping was like, no bueno, that's never happening. Yeah. Um, and like the what's going on in their partnership that she clearly wants him to stop, but there is not an agreement about like ever a veto or a, I, you know, I get to wave the flag and you won't keep risking your life kind of thing was really fascinating to me too.
1: Yeah. It is. She says she, she knew what she was getting into and I don't know that yeah. she, you can't know. I think this is another, you know, all joking aside, yeah. All joking aside about kids too, is you can't know what it's going to be like when you're 24 and you fall in love with a big wave surfer, you, you don't think to yourself I'm ever going to be the kind of person that tells him to stop or begs him right. to stop or mm-hmm. can't ask or beg and be miserable right. that he's not stopping mm-hmm. which it kind of feels like where she ends up like she also yeah. is living with the other side of her own Gordian knot. It's like I I can't both ask him nor can I live with this is what she's feeling yep. like to me at the same time and you know you can't blame him or her, right? It's like It's like when the the scorpion stings the frog and the frog's like, what the hell? It's like, I'm a scorpion, dude. I don't know what to tell you. There's there's an element of that that is (laughs) um, so fascinating because I think there is also this sense of in this new self-help therapy world, and, and it's all great. I subscribe to all of it, but there is some place of understanding you can get to that resolves it all, right? And that if you do it all right, you will be over here and you will have it all figured out and now you're good. Well, I think for some of us, what we have to realize you may figure it out and not be able to do anything about it so you get to live there in your conflict and that's what it is so Mm -hmm. live the questions is rilke's kind way of putting this Mm -hmm. the other way of putting this is you can't have it all tough shit welcome to earth and i you know (laughs) that's i don't know if that's helpful to be reminded or not but it feels it feels salty in the fact that like it's not a good flavor but it's an intensifying flavor. yes that is what it's like in any scale of these kinds of things
2: That's true. And the rest of that Rilke passage, because I used to read this to yoga classes, Mm. is live and love the questions because there isn't an answer right now. But basically, to paraphrase, even if there were one, you wouldn't be able to handle it. There
1: it is. That's right.
2: And I think that's exactly right for the folks in in 100 foot wave, but also like, there's just so much human condition stuff. That's what makes any of these documentaries great. It's like, I'm never gonna try to go surf a 100 foot wave. But I think we all know what it feels like to be driven by something or really, really desire something that you can see is dangerous for you in some way, it might not be physical harm. um, But to be drawn towards that anyway, and that push pull of trying to get yourself into this the place that you know is probably better
0: mm-hmm. for you, but
2: how difficult that can be. And I, I think you're right about the myth of landing in a spot where like magically you've achieved enlightenment and now it's all over when really, and one thing that McNamara illustrates So beautifully and I think unintentionally in the documentary is we all kind of have the one problem. And if you're you're living right, you at least are taking different approaches to the problem over time rather than running in the same circle repeatedly. (laughs) But we've all got the one thing and his trying to work out the one thing in this is I, I felt really grateful to get to watch a person deal with their stuff over 10 years um and it, and so it comes at awesome. it
1: sideways right because i don't even know that the documentarians would have known that like the psychological like the t- like mm-hmm. the tension between two interesting and defensible positions that's what makes for a good int- in, in fact get back is a lot the same Both they all want to be in the beatles but they all are so tired of being the beatles and want to go on their own thing rationally logistically You're the Beatles, man. Why would you break up the Beatles? (laughs) On the other hand, you hear George Harrison saying, I've got all these songs in me, and I get two cuts per record with you guys. And you're the greatest of all time. But if I'm third, shouldn't I, you know, it's like both of those things are right, George. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think that's the the answer to, should I stay with the Beatles or break out, break off on my own? The answer is yes. And that's what Rilke is saying. It's like, what are you going to do with your yes to both questions that seem diametrically opposed? So it's a similar thing. Let's get out of TV. But before we do that, sponsor break.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy I. Lynn. Shuei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shuei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shuei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased Increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And Who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy I. for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Then you have Claire Biggs who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibbsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. Do you have a
1: food section at all? Where, where can we group? Do you have any food things? Oh, I got a couple of food I things. do.
2: Okay. I have a couple of food things.
1: Go, go forth with food to start. All
2: right. My favorite cookbook of the year was All About Cake by Christina Tosi. I'm listening. Milk Bar. Um, I loved this. I spent a lot of 2020 upping my baking game. And then at some point, I saw Tosi on a Netflix documentary revealing how she does those really beautiful layered milk bar cakes. Where they like, are you wonderful can, cakes. Right? They're not they're not iced on the outside. So you Mm-mm. can see the layers of cake and then the icing between the layer. And there's always like something else going on in there for texture. And I was like, how does she get those to like be so flat and stacked and so perfect? And I saw her do this. And I was like, oh, now I see Um, So All About Cake does... There's like sheet cakes. There's even a section on like mug cakes and stuff you can make in your slow Mm. cooker. Um, There's cupcakes, like stuff for all occasions. But the real christina tosi's signature is that a cake has a cake an icing and some sort of like filler situation that like a crumble or something that gives it texture and often like a syrup that's soaked into the cake that keeps it moist and gives extra flavor so there's a lot of elements if you are a person who likes a like a complex baking situation (laughs) this is the way to go i Um, one time got
1: the milk bar cookbook or the bake uh baking book the original and i was like This is too fiddly for for my skills. This is, this looks great, but I I need a different lifestyle to be able to handle this of some kind.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this is like I'm down with a baking project that spans over two or three days. Like it might not take all of the day, but you're spending some time on two or three days making and assembling cakes. Um, There's a sheet cake section that is a little, you know, more straightforward. I love these because the flavors are really delicious and presentation is impressive. It doesn't feel like you're sacrificing either of them and the book gives you you know how to do the sheet cakes how to do the cupcakes but then if you google your way to watching christina tosi do her own layer cakes which is functionally instead of putting stuff into round cake pans you bake all your cake batter on like a big flat sheet cake and then mm. use a six inch or eight inch round to cut the circles out and make those like beautiful stacks yep. um for that inside a cake ring and i have practiced this technique and revealed it for a couple friends birthdays and like a few special dinners over the last year and it just looks fancy I just feel good about like I've been baking cakes for a while for people I love I just feel like I am showing them a little extra sparkle and it feels it just feels nice to be like look at this pretty cake Um, and they taste really really good I find them to be Word. It's fussy. I mean, I can. It's just fussy. You're it's not, okay.
1: I'm gonna. But, I'm gonna use fussy as a segue to my thing. I great. affirm. I affirm and support <laughs> fussiness. Optimal fussiness of all. Kinds.
2: Optimal fussiness. It's there's there are some many things in my life I refuse to be fussy about, but I am so here to be optimally fussy about cake and spending a day making a cake for someone that you love, and then getting to see their face light up with how cool their cake looks is mm-hmm. intensely satisfying at least for me. So all about cake. Good project if you're going to spend most of the winter indoors.
1: Yeah, mine was a summertime project I've talked to you about. I may have mentioned it on the show, I, I, I did tiki this summer. I've always liked tiki. Oh, yeah. I got into tiki tiki drinks, which is a, let's call it less than ideal term for a style of American cocktail making that comes out of a bastardized sense of Polynesian tradition, I got into the history of it. It's it's really fascinating, and it comes out of uh, Prohibition and rums and citrus juices from um, California and rums from the Caribbean. Long story short, I like a fruity drink, and this is taking the fruity drink game up a notch. And I don't know if you want to call this a hack for people out there that want to mess around with this. I don't think, unless you want to get into it, and Tiki's, one of Tiki's signature elements is fussiness. Like, part yes. of the fun is the fussiness of, like, making the garnish and finding all the rums. And that is fun if you're into that. But if you want just something that feels a little fancy, if you if you want to cut your cake out, but not do all the other stuff, like Rebecca said, this is different. I've got two recs for you. Don't, don't get the imitation stuff, but you can go online. This is the other thing about online. You can find the ingredients now, which is, wasn't true in like the 70s and 80s. But get yourself some real cinnamon syrup. So it's a sh- simple syrup with cinnamon in it, it's like real cinnamon, not the New Jersey flavor packet stuff like you see in Torino that you put in coffee, like real cinnamon syrup. And then the other one is passion fruit syrup. Don't try to make it. Don't just passion fruit syrup. Buy it in a bottle. Take those two things and combine it with any real citrus juice you want. Fresh squeeze. Do it yourself. Don't take a shortcut. That's my other tip. Fresh citrus, cinnamon syrup, passion fruit syrup, and then tequila and rum that you like. Put it together. It tastes like vacation. That's that's what I realized what I was looking for. Mm. I'm tasting like I'm not here. I'm looking for escapist liquid. That's what all I'm looking for <laughs> when it comes to tiki and those two things. I put them in different combinations, different rums, pineapple I juiced a pineapple, Rebecca, did I tell you this? I,
2: I I think you did, yeah. I
1: cut it into 16ths and put it in my hydraulic thing and, you know, it was good. Is it worth doing? Probably not. Is it fun? Yes. But orange I mean just take orange juice like good fresh squeezed orange juice, couple of fresh squeezed limes, shot of cinnamon syrup, shot of passion fruit syrup, two shots of tequila and you, my friend, your, your, your liver thinks you're on a beach. Let's put it that way. Uh, so tiki is great. I don't know what else to say. I, That's my food pick. That's all I've got I, for food. I
2: love this fussiness from you. And as the happy drinker of a couple signature Jeff O'Neill yeah. cocktails. Oh, yeah. I'm you old. had him
1: live and in person one one. I yeah, have. And I think,
2: I think maybe it was a margarita this fall when I was visiting. But you made me a blood orange situation uh-huh. that I think about fondly. Um,
1: blood orange is good. If you can find a miniola. Which is a hybrid orange. I recommend that. Cactus pear is great. It tastes like banana, but also tastes like orange at the same time. We can do this, I don't need to do oh, this because yeah. it's hard to find. <laughs> but thank you for the compliment. I will take that in the good spirit with which is been... intended. Okay, now we're, I, I guess the... we're out in the wild. you have other food or where are we get into wild card more, territory?
2: I have one more food thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just briefly, King Arthur Baking makes these ah. little things called Jammy Bits that are, I know. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. They're called jammy bits. I definitely have a song about jammy bits that I sing in my house when I use them. But you can get them in like raspberry flavor. They had apple cinnamon this fall. And if you're tossing them, if you want something that's like a little fruit bit in a scone, but you don't have either access to the fruit that you want at the time or you want it to be much easier than like chopping up and drying a bunch of fruit, jammy bits are the jam. Um, I did those, I tossed them into scones that I was making this fall. And these are now like my household favorite thing that people still talk about is that I made these apple cinnamon scones that tasted like autumn in a scone with awesome. little jammy bits they they're tiny they bake up they get juicy and squishy inside whatever you know scones whatever cookie you're making them in but they're just easy and wonderful and I love them so that's jammy bits
1: <laughs> Cool I think almost everything else on my list falls into the category of researching things to come um mm-hmm. So I'll start here. The big sort of uh financial transaction of the year for for my family was we got a new car after 12 years. And since I am a researcher by nature and I'm stuck at home all day, I did maybe more research than is healthy and productive <laughs> for a, a male person or any <laughs> no, no. human of any gender or or you know whatever wherever like you fall on whatever cutter. spectrum you're in. <laughs> yeah, there's no wire cutter for cars, by the way, which is maybe something we should talk about in the, as a business idea. But the only thing I can recommend all... Well, let, let me talk about process.
2: Okay, <laughs> I'm so ready for this. And, and I'll be back in 12 minutes.
1: <laughs> as far as I can tell, the process of buying a new automobile has not changed since 1954. You go in, everyone knows the sticker price is not what you end up paying. There's a bunch of stuff in there. It's very human, handshaky, handshake, whatever. The particular version of this I walked into, my partner and I and our family, is that this is not negotiating down. It's that there was a supply-side thing, and everyone is above sticker prices. They mm-hmm. call it a market adjustment. So it's like, okay, here's what the, the 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 manufacturer suggested price is. And in normal times, you'd pay something under that because that's how they make you feel like you got a good deal and whatever. But now we're paying over it. took me six months to get around this idea. Michelle's like, just buy the damn car already. That's the price. <laughs> what are you doing? Come on, man. Okay, got through that. Well, then you got to negotiate the price of your trade-in. Okay, well, I need this. So... In classic negotiation style, one thing that can get you into trouble if you're negotiating two things at once, right? And mm. of course, the thing you're really negotiating—the big piece—is the the purchase price of the new vehicle, and then the second thing is the, what trade-in you're getting. And you already know when you're trading in that you're not getting premium price because for the convenience of doing it all in one transaction. But if you're solving for the price of the big thing, you will make a mistake on not caring enough about negotiating the small thing. So. We can talk dollars here. it doesn't really matter. We had the car for twelve years. the trade in the trade in offer was a thousand bucks okay. I go on Kelly Blue Book, dot high recommendation. You can see what the market rate for your car is, and it should have been more than. It should have been more like four grand and I was like, okay, here's what k b b says. I'm trying to use an external principle, Rebecca. This may sound familiar mm-hmm. like we can all, only offer only a few thousand dollars. Then they start negging the car you know in this old <laughs> thing. It's got this, and it's got this. I know it's a twelve year old cold. why do you think I'm getting rid of it? I don't like the car. I know all the things doesn't matter i plugged it in that's how many miles it has they're like no nah, nah, they don't want to deal with it so i'm like you know what this is this is the 21st century there's got to be a better way car max
2: mm-hmm. I,
1: I filled out a form mm-hmm. on car max i told them the truth warts and all they gave me a quote i said that's great that's within 10 percent of the kelly blue book i take it down there made an appointment i and they're like we have to do an inspection make sure you tell the truth I fully expect that's where the left hook to come in. It's like, well, yep. then they start the negging process, and well, you did, you know, it's actually, and boy, there's more stains than you thought. And but you know, you know, people don't like uh, uh, wagons and whatever. Nope, they said, yeah, checks out. Here's a check right there for the price you thought, and we're out the door in 45 minutes. Car Max yep. to sell your car. Let's go, folks. <laughs> you don't have to live this way anymore.
2: <laughs> I've had wonderful experiences at CarMax as well. And they are based here in Richmond. Oh, is that right? Congratulations
1: uh-huh. to you. That's fantastic. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm happy that you had that experience, because everybody needs a, a reparative car shopping yeah. moment. Yeah. So yes sep- so yes so that's, to CarMax.
1: That's another tip. Separate your negotiations. Don't do them yes. both at once. Negotiate them separately if you can. That's how they get you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Where do you want to go next?
2: Okay. This is just our lifestyle right. thing. I'm a woman of a certain age. This year, I discovered bringing a robe with me when I travel
1: (laughs) what
2: Uh I don't know where the idea came from it might have just been one of those like random moments where I was packing for a trip but Bob and I went to Switzerland in the fall we were going to be gone for 10 days in a variety of hotel situations and I was packing up my suitcase and I was like you know what if I just bring my robe? <laughs> I have a robe I love. It's not super fluffy. If you are looking to shop for a robe for someone, it is the robe from Lunya L U Y N A dot co. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I would get up in the morning and put my robe on while we had coffee in the hotel room. And then when we got back from our adventures, and I took a shower, I would sit around in my robe. I'm like, I don't like pajamas when I'm traveling like, or extra changes of clothes. It was like, all I want to do today is put on the clothes I have to wear to go do the thing and then come back to the hotel room and be in the hotel room and then do the same thing in the morning. And I just like the luxurious feeling of a robe. I feel a little bit ridiculous. I've been on a few trips since we got back from this, and I feel a little bit ridiculous every time that I am packing up my robe. But then when we're in, we were in a hotel room in Columbus, Ohio over Thanksgiving. I, you know, went on a trip with Amanda earlier this month to Palm Springs. I brought my robe with me. It's so great. It's just nice. Hashtag
1: robe life. I love this idea. (laughs) Can I confess something to you about robes?
2: Please. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, absolutely.
1: (laughs) What if you said no? I know you'd been you'd been kidnapped. That's that that's your sign. <laughs> right. No, Jeff. Now, I would is... like not to hear about your robe thoughts. <laughs>
2: this is the one prompt where I don't want to hear about. I, I, I like a robe. Here's
1: say. my issue with robes. And this may be, we're we're bridging off into half baked idea land. Uh-huh. I feel like the seam for the robe should be more offset than it is because oh. right where the seam is, I don't need to tell you about how human <laughs> males are put together. The part that is least covered by your standard mm-hmm. robe seaming is most likely to make an appearance in a way that, you know, if you wear an undergarment, you know, but if I'm getting out of the yes. shower, I'm uh-huh. at whatever, uh-huh. that's, this, this is the part of the B52 I want armor on. You can leave the wings in a, I, I just needed to just, can we put it somewhere else? So that's okay. Show my hip. That's fine. Put the cinch there. <laughs> I need my robe cinching to be like rotated 90 okay. degrees and put it on the side.
2: Riddle me this because yeah. maybe this is a difference in gender clothing construction. Have you not had a robe that has an interior tie?
1: An interior tie? No, yeah, I don't so, believe so. Okay.
2: So in many Where does it robes, go?
1: Does it go... Is it groinal? You, is it okay, groinal tie? Okay, right.
2: This is... Well, this is weird since we're doing audio medium here, but right. you know, like you, you got your arms slipped into your robe. I know where my arms are, take, yes. Thank you. Let's say you're going to take the left side of the robe and fold it in against your body before okay. you fold the right side over to belt it. The left side... On a lot of women's robes has a little tie and there's a matching tie on the inside of the right like hip seam. Hmm. So when you fold that left piece in, you can tie it, you secure it to the other side of the robe. And then by the time you fold the right side of the robe over to like belt the whole thing, it can only open so far. Hmm. So I, maybe I might be behind on my, my
1: my my um, sartorial innovations in, in <laughs> Robeland. I think it's possible. I haven't experienced something like that. Maybe you know, maybe it's like the Go the Jacques someone the Jacques Cousteau of robes. Like you know, we don't have to live like this. We don't, you know, rather than exposing I, things, we can hide it. I, I'll look into this, but I do like a robe. I think they're a wonderful idea. I think robes should be more common. I also don't yes. feel like the kind of guy that's earned robe. I don't know what oh. that means about me. You know, like what Seinfeld says about having orgies, like I need a whole different wardrobe. There's a part of me that's like, I'm not a robe guy. I don't do robe things. But on the other hand, it's a it's a, it's a, a garment blanket, which I'm into. It is. And I, I, I need to... I need to do some work on myself to get past this, because I do think robes are a wonderful solution to many of life's problems.
2: Hashtag robe life. I just feel a little bit more glamorous drinking my coffee in a robe than in whatever else I would be running around in in the morning. And I don't know. It makes me feel nice when I'm traveling, too. Like, I live the robe life at home. But taking the robe life on the road with me felt like I leveled my game up.
1: Um. I don't think we've talked about travel planning at all. I didn't travel. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not true. My family and I drove to Yellowstone. Um, That was great. Yellowstone's great. Doesn't need recommendations like recommending the Beatles. And I would never recommend the Beatles (laughs) property because that's too basic and obvious for someone like me. But I did a lot of future travel looking. And I don't know what you use, but um, I I got down deep into the world of travel optimization stuff just Mm because I found it fascinating. There's lots of tools. Long story short, Mm -hmm. it seems like once you you go through that world and come out the other side, That if you're researching flights, hotels, go to hotels.google.com or Mm flights.google.com. They're incentivized differently than the Expedias, Orbitz's, whatever's of the worlds, hotels.com, to just be a tool that you use rather than get a better deal from Hilton because their search results are at the top. They have a really cool calendar feature for both of them where you plug in the dates, but I'll show you the prices for the surrounding dates for both of them. So you can see, well, what about this? Put in your filters. Very, very humane experience, feel like you're getting a better deal. I did feel like for the trips that I didn't take but did research, I would have gotten the better deal by by researching this way. It just felt sane. And it's one of those mm-hmm. things where since Google's monetization strategy is like they kind of don't care about like whatever 3% commission rate that JetBlue is going to give them. They just made the best tool that they themselves would use. It's kind of great. So both of them are just... Hotels.google.com and flights.google.com, they're not super fancy, but maybe you don't want that necessarily in Trivago and all these places where you're gonna bundles and deals and all that stuff. Like, this is just the straight dope of the best prices for the flights you're looking for and the dates and places you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It was refreshing after all these maximals and get your rewards and, you know, go take this one. And it's like, no, just give me the, give me the thing, yeah. man. I, I'm a man with the, with limited time. Um, and I need to figure out, I can't just go to Singapore because it's a cheap deal today. I got, I got windows I'm trying to hit.
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm a proponent of that method and also a vocal advocate of book directly through the hotel or there the airline. you They'll care because about you more than if you've got your Orbitz reservation you number or whatever. You're least likely to get bumped mm-hmm. if something happens, if the hotel overbooks or if the flight is oversold. Um, you know, I live the Delta life. They've been good to me. I have a lot of Delta miles, so that's my how I go into travel planning. But I also subscribe to an embarrassing number of travel publications.
1: Oh, we meant to talk <laughs> offline about that at some point. <laughs> We can okay. protect ourselves a little bit.
2: Um, yeah. My travel thing, other than taking my robe with me this year, was I think I did finally find my platonic ideal of travel toiletry holders. And this is a journey. Toiletry because, holders. Like, you know, lotion bottles and shampoo bottles and okay. stuff. Like okay, okay. Because I've had a bunch of different ones that have... Promised to be leak-proof and that have been lies. So that, like, it's not the get...
1: thing you put the bottle in. It's the thing you put the the balm or salve yes. or tincture in. Okay.
2: Correct. Yeah. Okay. Like whatever you decant your big thing of shampoo into, so that you can take a, three ounces or less of it with you. When you,
1: you know it. how long one bottle of shan- one th- three ounce bottle of shampoo gets <laughs> okay. me.
2: Body wash, Jeff. Let's go yeah. with body that, wash. Okay,
1: that's fair. It's all one. <laughs> I do a three in one. It's good for all surfaces. <laughs>
2: I'm just gonna need a minute for that <laughs> sentence. Yeah, um, but I've okay. So I have what had are the many three experiences. She asked. What are the three? <laughs> she, she did not wonder that. She
1: did not want to know. Okay,
2: <laughs> the, this is it. The limit of my curiosity. Okay,
1: all right. So you found <laughs> okay. So these are these are bottles these are- or liquid.
2: They're okay so this is the company yeah these are shapes the company is called Cadence the website is keepyourcadence.com and they are um little hexagonal like i think they're plastic um containers they're made of recycled materials it's a sustainable thing the business mm-hmm. is owned by women of color um the lids in my experience, now on several trips, are actually leak-proof, and there's the lids are kind of they screw on, but they're magnetized to the bottles as well. That must help with the leak-proofness. Okay. But they also then each little hexagonal pod I think it holds about half an ounce it is magnetic against all the other ones so you can fit like 15 of these into your court size ziploc situation Um, and they stay together if you put them out on a hotel room counter the lids are labeled they come in these nice pastel colors you can pick which color you want you can select pre labeled ones for like shampoo, conditioner, sunscreen, or you can do a custom label of whatever stuff you're putting in. Um, They actually work. It feels like a revelation to me that I can go on trips now. I hope that I don't have to like retract this in a year because they start leaking. Um, But I've taken them on several trips. I've checked them in bags. I've carried them on. I've taken them on a road trip. So they've been through like all of the possible scenarios and I love it for like a four day trip you don't need three ounces of shampoo Uh, let me tell (laughs) you you don't need three ounces of shampoo like maybe in a year
1: I think on a trip to Mars I'm taking a six ounce (laughs) bottle You know, (laughs) six years round trip, I'm covered.
2: Right. So I really also liked it just maximizes the space that you can use. And I was like, right. Why have I? It's never really occurred to me that I had this one three ounce bottle of travel shampoo that it's lasted me for like all of my trips for a year. So you do have to do more refilling. And there's not like a built in squirty mechanism. When you're in the shower, you have to unscrew the little cap from the hexagonal pod and like either tip it into your hand or use your fingertip to scoop out some Mm. of the product. But Whatever, for the just peace of mind that I'm not going to open my bag and find that like there you go. I, my face cleansing oil leaked all over everything else. And now it's a giant mess inside my toiletries. And then you have to rinse off all your toiletries. You'll pay, and you'll pay a
1: little getting out tax to make sure it stays yes. in, right? Because your failed exactly. state is like, if your failed state's real bad, if you're, you know, whatever L'Oreal, just hibiscus, the, whatever blows right. up in your spot, in your carry on in Atlanta.
2: The annoying factor of that is so yeah. high. So these are more expensive than the little plastic three ounce bottles you could buy at CVS. And so far I have found them to be worth the money. So yeah. That
1: reminds me of my last recommendation. It's called Mail Pattern Baldness, everyone. I suggest everyone try it, look into it. I know it's not something it's not for everyone. And it's not something most people would choose, but let me tell you there are advantages that pay dividends over time in a way, stick in your Pinky finger in your hexagon tube to <laughs> take care of your hair. What have we become, Rebecca? What is this world? What uh, has world come to here? I uh, that sounds great. I can see that it solves a real problem um, yes. for sure in, in this modern world. Uh, you know, sometimes I listen to a lot of music. This was not. This was probably my worst new music mm-hmm. year of all time. Uh, Me
2: too, actually. I do okay. have
1: one music pick, but it's an old one. I do like Christmas music. You know, my kids started asking, "Can we start the Christmas music?" But I, being the stalwart stoic father figure, um, re- required that we wait till the day after Thanksgiving, of course, yes. to start. And yes. I have a master list, and I, I do try to look for a couple new songs a season to put on there. So it's not always the same, but it still retains the core. We try something else. Optimal fussiness, Rebecca. Hashtag. <laughs> um, I picked my my pick. I I picked two songs off of Willie Nelson's holiday album called Pretty Paper that went on my list this year. It's like a 1976 album that i forgot I even knew, but the title track, I believe, is an original composition. It's just a little different. It sounds great. It's like a little two-step waltz. It sounds like holiday time. It's about, you know, nice things hanging around. Willie's a nice addition to my, you know, Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit of a curveball in there. Like with most holiday albums, the, the album's called Pretty Paper, and the title track, which I think is the best one, is also called um, is also called Pretty Paper. With most holiday albums, you gotta be very careful. Because usually the whole album, you don't wanna listen to the whole thing, because there's usually a couple of clunkers on there. Anyone trying Frosty or Rudolph is a disaster, stay away from them all. Carol the Bells, not a shot, keep it off, little drummer boy, all a disaster. You gotta know what you're doing when you pick these things. So I'm not recommending the whole Willie Nelson album. You'll know the ones. I love Willie. I'm not going to slander him. This is a pro Willie podcast from me. <laughs> but pick your spots with Pretty Paper by Willie Nelson. <laughs> I think you're going to find some stuff that adds a little bit of a mix to your holiday Christmas <sighs> listening. A uh, little website called Spotify you might have heard of. it. Pretty this Paper by pro- Willie, Willie, Willie Nelson
2: podcast do you know the album that he did with nora jones and wynton marsalis that's- i know
1: all the willie nelson ones the good and the okay. bad yes i do know this yes. that's a good one also i got to steer you away from nora jones's holiday record that came out this year I'm oh i say, didn't
2: know there was a nora jones yeah holiday record. it's a
1: very okay. tough beat for nora who i like a lot i don't know what they were thinking it was not what she does well um, let's try again, Nora, is what I've got to say. I'm, I'll, I'll try the next the next take of this. Um, well, so there you I, go. I think that's it for me, actually. Okay. I kind of ended up there. Do you have anything else you want to mention yeah, you know, in here at the
2: end? I also had less new music in my life this year. Um, we're not getting out of uh, this episode without me mentioning Counting Crows. <laughs> why, why
1: are we mentioning them now?
2: <laughs> because they had a new EP this summer called oh The Butter Miracle. God. Okay, this is uh, your Ford- time. It's four tracks. It's like 20 minutes long. They all sort of run together. Um, Well, they're intended to run together. The songs sort of create a story. And just sonically, it feels uh, closer to some of their earlier albums than the stuff they had been doing recently. So it was like I put it on around the house, and Bob was like, is this a Counting Crows song that I don't know? Like, it sounds like it could be from one of the older albums, which I thought was cool. They did like a tie in video thing with it. That doesn't really matter, but I just <laughs> enjoyed the, I don't know, jam of some of these tracks and that they sounded like older Counting Crows songs. My, like, one true love of the year, though, is the Bruno Mars Anderson Pac uh, um, I did listen collab. To some of this. I did like this and, too. Yeah. An Evening with Silk Sonic. I am intensely into this 70s vibe that yes. Bruno Mars is trying to bring back give me a velour jumpsuit i am ready um but evening with silk sonic it like it's funny it's cheeky it has like the sexy moments and the silly moments and just just a really wonderful 70s vibe to it i'm going to be cooking to that all winter that was my Album situation. And then, like, my music adjacent recommendation this year is the Band splain podcast hosted mm. by Yasi Salek, which each episode is about a band that people get super into. Most of them are either like cult classic bands or like not quite uh, big, huge bands, but like she has an episode on Dave Matthews' band. So she's not just doing uh, the culty following ones, mm. um, but it's like a three hour episode with her. And someone either from like the music criticism world or someone that she is aware of, sometimes there are other musicians who is also super into that band. And they go through the band or the musicians, basically like a whole catalog over the course of Mm -hmm. a couple of hours talking about the how that person came on the person of the band came on to the scene what the significance was that like broke them through what are some of the big songs what are some of the album tracks that like never made it to the radio if you're really into this band why do you love them um there's like a three hour reba mcintyre one recently that was amazing and i just enjoy that super deep dive because like books are the media that i know a whole lot about you know and will be super into but i really really love music and i really love tv and movies and i like to read and learn about them. I'm not going to host three hour podcast episodes, you know, about Reba McIntyre, but I am quite happy that someone did so that I can go through and be like, oh, I did like that band. And I've listened to a few that were about uh, musicians I'm not terribly familiar with, but I knew a couple tracks and liked them, and that's been a really fun way to discover. Like, oh, this is why people like Fish. You know, like I'm probably never going to become a big Fish fan now. That ship has just sailed for me. But it was cool to listen to someone who was really into them and could talk about like the progression of that band's career and how people. Yeah, uh, jammy to bits, them.
1: if you will. Jammy the bits. There you go. Yes. Yeah, bringing it all
2: back. Yeah, it all back together. It doesn't <laughs> think
1: the last couple of years that the music podcast has really flourished and it makes a lot of sense, right? The medium mm-hmm. is audio and it, so it's uniquely well-suited to be the good subject because music is famously hard to write about, of course, yeah. Um, because it's nice to have that there. There, And then I think with Spotify and some of the other deals, people are more comfortable or more able to legally use the music and talk about it without getting sued into oblivion or otherwise worrying mm-hmm. about it. So um I listen to, you know, it's one I dip in. If I see it, it's a record I know. Um, it's on Spotify. I think it's a ringer. Yeah, it is a ringer joint because the, the main host, Shea Chirano, writes for the ringer sometimes. But it's called No Skips and they take a hip-hop album usually mm-hmm. and go through it track by track and have a fun time talking about it. So if they're, if they're picking up Doggy Style from 93, I'm checking that out, or The Cron. <laughs> you know, one of the ones that uh. I know, some degree, there's a lot I don't know. But it, it is. it's one of those things where the medium and the content so naturally fit That people are really exploring what's possible in ways that usually if you had a documentary you'd have to have all the video right you would have to have video of them playing well you don't need the video you just need the songs you don't even need something special it's everything everybody knows already so uh, music podcasts have been great out there i think that's it for us you can email us about the parts that um didn't scandalize you or did i guess (laughs) podcast at bookriot.com. uh and uh that's gonna be pretty much it for us for now. You might hear announcement in this feed for something else later. Don't want to tip my hand right now, but you might get a you might get a tip off of something else that we're gonna be doing, maybe a couple different things actually now that I think about it. You can find show notes, podcast at Book Riot. Nope, that's her email address, Rebecca, bookriot.com <laughs> slash listen. We'll put I guess the stuff we put in here, they might be linked or not, you can Google, you know, if you see it, you'll remember it. I do not promise it'll be in the order we talked about them or attributed to the person who actually said the thing. Um, <laughs> Interiorrobeties.org. I just bought that domain. If you know
2: of men's robes or unisex robes that can change Jeff's life, let us know.
1: Well, you know, it's a little bit like my car where I was kind of like being thrown into the future, 12 years of automotive in- innovation, one fell swoop, where it's like, you know, heated seats are great. So may- maybe the heated mm-hmm. seats, interior robe, ties or the heated seats of robes like they've been there they've been out there but I've been driving old robes around like an animal and I just haven't (laughs) caught up and it might just be fine I just haven't really haven't really thought about it Um,
2: you don't have to live this way
1: no we don't we don't thank you Rebecca this was a lot of fun as always (laughs) may you all have a wonderful turning of the calendar and may your and our next year have a deeper pool of idiosyncratic things to recommend to each other
2: yes yes